y'all. Pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer. I'm joined alongside today by Johnny Bashir. You guys are listening to the Budos Band. That's the Budos Band bringing us in. Smooth tunes right now, theoretically. Can't hear them, but you guys can. They're super cool. And uh, I hope that by telling y'all how cool the Budos Band is every week, that we don't get sued for using their music. So that would be super cool. Um, well, at the level of money we make, it's only going to be a cease and desist. That's, that's yeah. it. That's true. That's true. Anyways. Hey, where's Tim? Uh, oh, Tim, well, Johnny, usually you're the one who has all the insider information on this stuff. Where is Tim? So, Tim, in a bout of liberal guilt, flew down to Austin to help Will out with his scorching gonorrhea that kept him out of last week's It podcast. was It was hot. It was it was super hot. It was just it was just spicy. like watching a volcano from his crotch. Yeah. And so Tim went down there. Things happen. Now Tim also has gonorrhea, and he's out for this week. He's back up in Iowa, just spreading it. Funnily enough, there. his wife doesn't have the gonorrhea, but but he does. Yeah. No. He's just he's a he's just spread it. He just basically he's like a, a dog just scooting his butt along the Iowa cornfields. Is, is basically what it is, except it's genitals. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, good luck, good luck, Tim. Yeah, sorry. But yes, Tim is out. In his absence, we're we'll talking about the Bama State incarnate words, the kind of dichotomy of those two games for Texas, and also talk about Jalen Tyson and the portal and just Texas roster management in general under Chris Beard. Why is the roster the way it is this year? What is it going to look like going forward? And did Texas kind of get caught up in Transformania and create some redundancies on the roster? A poster on Longhorn Nation made a good post, and we're going to talk about that because we appreciate it. Uh, specifically, you, Chief King Sosa. Chief Chief King Sign is kind of redundant in, in it in itself. Sure, I'll go with that. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about the Big Twelve as Texas has West Virginia and Kansas State coming up. Talk about what are the realistic expectations for Texas this year. Where do they sit now, and where will they sit at the end of conference play? We're going to talk about who the two teams Texas are playing are and what to expect from them. It's a long intro. Three-minute intro. Johnny, you ready to get into it? I am. Or do you want to talk about gonorrhea some more? It seems to be <laughs> I mean, I'm always game to talk about gonorrhea, but we should probably talk basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the difference, am I right? I don't even know what the joke is. Let's get into Bama What's State. What's the difference between gonorrhea and a Chris Beard offense? I, I don't have an answer. That's an honest question. I don't I don't know. One is a uh, illness, Johnny, and the other one is... One works slowly, and the other is gonorrhea. Oh. oh there we go. Oh, How's that? All right. Uh, there you go. There's, there's all the hate we're going to heap onto. Uh, no, actually, yes. I guess we have Bama State to talk about. Yeah, there's but, still time. Yeah, there, there's still time. There's still time. But this this isn't a Chris Beard hate show, uh, even though most of y'all think it is. Let's talk about Bama State, though, because Bama State was not great, to put it one way. Uh, getting, you know, the doors blown open on you by a, what was it, a 338th ranked team in the nation, uh, being down 16 to 14 on your home court. Now I know it's not much of a home to four, court, but yes, 16 to four. That's what I'm about to say. 16 to four. That's not what you're supposed to do, but the very next game incarnate word, that is exactly what you're supposed to do. And that was an actually interesting game to watch. And it was a stark contrast to 
every other game this season so far. It's sort of what you want to go. It's, it's what we were expecting, you know, the best of this team to be was the Incarnate Word. And what the worst of this team was Alabama State. Yeah, pretty much. That's uh, that, that pretty much wraps it up. Are we ready to talk about the Big 12? No. Um, yeah, the, the Alabama State game was, uh, it was a shit show for, mo- well, basically the entire first half and early in the second half. Uh, Gerald of the Dell got uh, his chance at revenge on uh, on the Texas Longhorns, and he was he was trying to take advantage for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, early on, it was it, it was like Texas went, oh wait, there's a D one player on this team. Oh wow, uh, should we guard him? Nah, let's do that in the second half. the The team came out really lethargic. They just it, it's like they felt like they were just gonna roll over Alabama State and. They probably listened to our podcast. They definitely listened to our podcast, but they mm. probably listened to it and were like, they're right. They're one of the 10 listeners. Well, yes. we count the team as one. Yeah, they just, they 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 loaded up in the locker room and listen as a group. Uh, and I'm going to assume they don't laugh at us when we talk talk technical stuff. So the, they just didn't. But they definitely laugh when we talk gonorrhea jokes. That's true. Right? That's true. Who doesn't? Um, Who yeah. doesn't laugh? <laughs> Tim right now. Um, other than him, um, <laughs> he's crying. Yes, he's yeah. There's he's got a lot of emotions going on right now. I, it's it was. Uh, I I watched that game and for most of this season, I haven't had a lot of emotional reactions to games. I haven't been super invested in part because they're playing teams that it's just even if they play a slow boring whatever it doesn't really matter the outcome's not really in doubt and uh there have been moments this season where texas kind of let a team hang around a little bit like i'm thinking of the uh was very the UT... first game yeah well that the ut rio Grande valley game is the one i'm thinking of the uh, where that game was what was it like a five point game at halftime and they kind of let a, a much lesser team hang around, and it was it was mildly concerning. The blood started to get up a little bit, but for the most part, it's a it's a pretty sedate experience watching Texas play. Um, and that that Alabama State game at the beginning, I was just I, I there were a couple different times where I think was there was one where Andrew Jones got his shot blocked into oblivion on a on a layup, and there was some other stuff that just. I started laughing at one point because I was like, really, this is this is exactly what we hired Chris Beard to avoid, right? Like the one, the one, you know, the, the floor of the Shaka era was so much lower than Beard. And you're really hoping that you don't see those kind of, you know, WTF losses with, with Chris Beard. And for for a little bit, for, you know, about 10 to 15 minutes of that game in game time, I they were flirting with it. They sure didn't seem to be super interested in playing that basketball game. And yeah, it was rough. The, the The offense was off. The defense was off. They they didn't seem to understand that Gerald Liddell was good enough to take them. <laughs> and so he did. their mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they got it, you know, they got it together eventually. They, they eventually turned around and, you know, the second half was all Texas and it, and it, it you know, it became a perfunctory result, but they really just, they, they, they flirted with some disaster there, for sure. And to Chris Beard's credit, 
he didn't have this year that one questionable loss. Now he didn't play, you know, above 150, except for three times. Yeah. But he didn't have that one questionable loss that Shaka did. Now yeah. I, I don't know. You probably know this. That Shaka's losses, those those questionable losses, were they around the teams? In the three thirties, no. Yeah, yeah, no. They you know his Shaka's losses tended to be like like I think when Rad when he lost to Radford, they were one twenty three in the nation or one forty. Like he had some of those, like the mm-hmm. plucky mid major type losses. He 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 didn't lose to any like absolutely abysmal teams that I can recall off the top of my head. And that's right. part of why you hire a guy like Chris Beard is he doesn't. He just doesn't lose the, the the gimme games, right? And that's that's one of the things that he's here to do among, you know, it's a lesser quality among the other things he's supposed to be here for, but that's one of the things you, you get a guy like Chris Beard is like the floor gets raised beyond we got to worry about a team in the 300s on Ken Ball. Right. Then you look at what you did in our Incarnate Word, and that's exactly what you want as a Texas fan and, you know, going back to your point, like, the results are already known, basically, before you even start the game. So the excitement kind of wears off really, really fast, especially in this era. It was just it, The excitement for Chris Beard was, like, one, two games, maybe. Maybe the big games, like Gonzaga was exciting, and Seton Hall yeah. had some excitement and some eyes on it. But, like, most of the time the stadium is empty. We'll see what happens when it comes to conference play. I'm guessing that's going to probably raise again because football is not happening, and... Baseball isn't happening yet, but for these games, I, I kind of had to be like, all right, I'm rooting for Texas to hit 30 over 30 in the first half and keep them under 10 or keep them under 15. And this is the first time that that actually happened. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's fair to, to sort of the, the differences between the Alabama State and Incarnate Word or games are, are legion. I, I do want to take a moment to to say that I I had hoped that they would schedule Kentucky in Alabama State's place, and boy, if they had started like that against Kentucky, that that game would have been over quick. Um, <laughs> I it was one of those they really should have scheduled Kentucky. They need tougher games, and then that Alabama State game started, and I was like, okay, maybe maybe not Kentucky, maybe not Kentucky. <laughs> um, yeah, it, but on the other hand, the Incarnate Word game was actually kind of fun. Like it was, yeah, a, it was fast. It was good defense. It was, well, yeah, fast, fast as a, and relatively fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- relative to the snail's pace, they they ran selectively and they they ran on some turnovers. They ran uh, off of a couple of makes. Uh, you saw guys like Courtney Ramey push the ball up the floor, like th- you know, throw a pass halfway across the you know halfway up the court to Andrew Jones, and suddenly guys who had looked unsure and robotic and just generally not uh not the way they needed to look they didn't look right they they looked looser they looked like they were having a better time uh, the they were getting open shots and more to the point they weren't passing up open looks like they had been in previous games so the possessions didn't really it, they, they didn't have a their tempo wasn't a ton higher but they pressed the advantage when they had it and they got to the rim more often and they, you know, they, they, they were the aggressors. Whereas in previous games, they, they looked tentative or they would pull the ball out and set up the offense and get started doing whatever they need to do. And in this game, it just looked more free flowing. 
Um, it looked better. It looked more coherent. Um, I think they only had 63 possessions in the game, which is about where they've been for, you know, for most of these games, but it was a more fluid 63 possessions. It was more productive and, and just everybody looked better. Like just about everybody on the court looked better. They looked more comfortable. They looked like they were in their own skin as opposed to thinking of what, you know, okay, am I supposed to, is this one of the five shots I'm supposed to shoot or do I need to pass it around the horn? I mean, well, Devin Askew, who is still terrified of shooting, but him notwithstanding, it just, it just generally looked better. And that, that was, that game against Incarnate Word is what I would expect to see from a team who is trying to be top 10, top 15 in the nation. And, and it also the, helped that shots were falling, but the sure. fact that they were going faster allowed them to be more fluid with it and allowed for shots to come open. So they're able to take more shots actually than they did against Alabama state and other teams and hit more of those shots. The fluidity yeah. kind of led to a better offense. Now they're still really, really lacking in the three point range. Like they're, it's really bad. Well, like a good example is, and I'm thinking again of that possession where Courtney Ramey got the ball and he threw it, uh, you know, almost two thirds of the court to Andrew Jones and Andrew Jones, who was open, took the three and hit it. And in previous games, even if Courtney Ramey makes that pass, which he probably doesn't because he, they're, they're bringing the ball up more slowly. If he makes that pass, Andrew Jones probably gets to his spot open and then passes it because that's not one of the five or six shots or whatever it is that Beard and his staff have dictated are. These are the shots we're looking for. If you don't have one of these, pass it around. Like he took it instead. He made it. And and it's less about, I mean, obviously you want to make baskets, but it's less about making it than the fact that he felt free to take it. And uh, in some, a lot of the previous games, they did not feel free to take it. Uh, you know, Carr had a couple of those as well. Uh, Febres had one or two of those as well. Like those guys were, were free to let fly more than I've seen in most of their games. Right. So I feel like this is actually a good spot to kind of go to the next topic here, which is the roster management. And to start that off, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Jalen Tyson transferring out or hitting the portal at the very least. And I have a question here. Should Texas fans be surprised? Really? They shouldn't. Right. We kind of talked about it coming into this year. We knew that there are a lot of players on this team that could play coming in. There are a lot of teams that players in this team that were expecting minutes. Uh, I don't know if Jalen Tyson was the first one I would be expecting to transfer in this soon, but the fact that the freshman transferred is not terribly surprising, but it's not great. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the way I would I would preface this, or the, the context I would put it in, is this is, to my knowledge, the third consecutive high four-star or low five-star recruit that Chris Beard has had who transferred out in their first year, uh, going back to his time at Tech. Um, so it's not unprecedented for him to run off somebody who, whether they were expected to contribute immediately or not, uh, went out. Like, um, I think, you know, I, I remember back in my, 
my season preview, one of the things I brought up when I was talking about sort of minutes continuity and roster management and, and the beard churn, which is, which is a thing, even by NCAA coaches standards, he churns guys at a pretty high rate. Um, he, he, Namari Burnett, Andrew Saverzov, Russell Tachua, Josh Mbala, now Jalen Tyson. Like he, he has a history of taking guys, taking guys who were, uh, highly thought of recruits and they don't see much time. Maybe they play a few games. Maybe they don't, uh, you know, some of those, yeah, one of those guys that I mentioned played basically zero games and left. Um, so it's not unprecedented. Um, and it, and it poses a problem for a couple of reasons, but the, the, the number one reason is that he has zero guys from the 2021 class now, at least in terms of high school recruiting. All of the guys he brought in in that class are transfers, and most of them are juniors and seniors. You know, then you consider that the remaining guys from the, you know, from Shaka Smart's tenure are all seniors or super seniors. Um, this is going to be what it's like next year, too. Because he he's he has two guys uh, two high school recruits committed for the twenty twenty two class and um, assuming they stay around he's gonna have to go grab a ton of transfers again he's gonna have to go get you know six seven transfers because that's just it, otherwise he's not gonna be able to field a team you know just literally not able to field a team because there there this is sort of the the, the pros and the cons of, of grabbing a, tra- a bunch of transfers. The pros are you get, in theory, a lot of guys who are able to contribute immediately because they've been playing elsewhere. They've shown you what they can do. Uh, they have defined skill sets that you can work with. You know, you can kind of build around them. Um, the con is most of those guys tend to be juniors, seniors, so you only get them for one to two years. And but between that, and Chris Beard's tendency of running dudes off, there's just a, it's just a, a, a constant, uh, you know, it's just a spin cycle where next year's going to be at six or eight new guys. You know, when you count the two high school guys coming in and he's probably going to need to get five or seven transfers, there's going to be an entirely new team next year. And so, it's hard to build a base. It's hard to build a foundation for your program when you're constantly just overhauling the entire thing. Um, it's not impossible to win that way, but it's a difficult way to do it. And Beard has, um, he's had success with transfers in the past, but not at this scale. Like uh, when he brought in uh, Owens and Mooney and and paired him with Jer- paired them with Jarrett Culver and, you know, Davide Moretti and those guys, like he, he was bringing in two, three, four transfers to really accentuate this core that he had of freshman, sophomore, whoever, you know, Jared Culver was a freshman and a sophomore before he left. What he's doing here, and, and to be fair to him, some of this is out of necessity based off of what what was left when he got the job. What he's there doing were four here. four guys on the roster yeah, when he got four, the job. Right. And even, and also to his credit, he got Devin Askew, as well, who is basically a, a true freshman. Yeah, yeah he played last year. Yeah, and and that's that's a guy. And honestly, that's a guy. I the guys for me, and this is not inside information or anything. The guys I am most concerned about in a given year transferring out 
under Chris Beard or guys who have their one year transfer, one year free transfer left on, on, on their list, or they have two plus years of eligibility left. And Askew's one of those guys. Um, I think he's probably playing enough that it's not a big concern, but in a vacuum, he's high on my list of that guy could decide to leave with relatively little downside. Um, but yes, to, to back to the to the point is for the next year or two at least, um, unless Chris Beard re- and his staff really start making it rain on high school recruits, he's going to have to do this every year where he gets four plus guys as transfers every year because he's still got to you know you got to fill out a team right and. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if next year's another half dozen transfers, and we'll have to figure out how they fit with whomever is left. Right. Yeah. It, he went very transfer heavy this year, and again, you're right, out of necessity because he came in late. He had one guy he was able to pull over from his other class, and Texas had four guys on the roster, so there wasn't really much of a base to build on, and uh, he he didn't have time to start building his own base now. The question is whether he starts to try to build that base going forward. He sort of put himself at a disadvantage because of the fact that he only had really two-ish guys uh, to really build his base, which were Jalen Tyson and Devin Askew. Yeah, and, and if I could just jump in real quick. What, what, one thing, uh, uh, to be fair to Chris Beard, uh, whether it was him or Shaka returning, there was going to be a lot of turnover this year. Because yes. of so many guys that were going to leave, the, the the difference is that Shaka had a four man recruiting class that were going to come in, so he probably would have gone and gotten like two or three transfers instead of six, right? But there still would have been a lot of turnover regardless. So um, I I get why Beard went the way he went. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if he gets maybe two or three more guys to come into this class, or whether or not he just says two guys is good. We're going to go with more transfers. So it's just something to keep your eye on going forward and really see, okay, what is Chris Beard's approach to roster management and, you know, in the Texas program? What type of program is he trying to build here? And right, you know, transfer using transfers is is perfectly fine. It's just you get less of a shot of getting the like one really good guy like Trey Young or something along those lines. And you, you kind of get like okay, we're going to go with Marcus Carr, who is has a very high floor, but his ceiling, we know where it is, right? So you can you kind of limit yourself a little bit. You can go the Baylor, you can go with Baylor and like get a transfer and really kind of turn him up and like find the ceiling that we didn't know was there, you know, kind of bust through the, the supposed ceiling. But most of the time, you're going to get transfers where you get a low, you have a low, a high floor, right? Yeah, I, I guess the way I would put it is that you have to consider um, the transfers are the best, generally speaking, the best of the guys who are not happy with their current situation mm-hmm. uh, or or open to look around. That doesn't, and, and that's not a knock on them. It's just you know a guy like to use your example, Trey Young. Uh, he's not going anywhere. He's going to be at Oklahoma or he's going pro, right? Or um, you know, you look at Kansas. Remy Martin, who was right there with Marcus Carr, and and he's, I mean, he's having a better year, but he's also not the centerpiece of that offense, right? A better example for Texas fans is Kai, Kai Jones. Yeah, you're not going to, well, let me put it, it would be extremely unlikely to find a guy like Kai Jones in the transfer market. Exactly. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or a Jericho. I guess you could find a Jericho Sims, but you know, you're not going to find a Kai Jones who is going to surprise you, right? With an incredibly high ceiling. And honestly, to be fair to Beard, it's not the first time that a highly rated recruit has left early on in the season due to, you know, they don't see themselves having play time. Jalen Tyson's a little different because if he stays, he definitely has some next year and the year after. He's not going to be a one and done. I don't think he thinks he's going to be a one and done. No. Uh, but like Will Baker is another example where it's like, I, I'm behind Kai Jones and Jericho Sims and all these other guys. I'm not going to get a lot of play time. And I'm a highly recruited guy, like a five star. Yeah. So it's sort of in that same realm, but Jalen Tyson could have stayed around, but there is the reputation for Beard to run guys off fast because of, you know, difficult, you know, not difficult, hard practices and uh, not as much of a player's coach as he makes himself out to be. He's, he's a hell of a salesman, um, but he's, he's not, uh, he, not, not saying he's a bad coach. Not saying he's a bad coach. He's a great he's coach. He's just a very intense coach. He, he's he's very, very intense. There you go. That's the way to put coach. it. He's very yeah. intense in that, as we saw under Rick Barnes, can wear on some guys. Yeah. Uh, as a if, side note, uh, Will Baker is 13 of 26 from three for Nevada this year. I, I don't wow. know. I, yeah. <laughs> he went He went one of four from three against Nevada or against Kansas tonight. But yeah, no, it's whatever. It's fine. Good Good for him. I just, yeah. I, I'm going to go die a little inside. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, but the question I want to get to here is with all these transfers, right? The roster management is, you know, I don't know what to say it's in question, but there is a question that was brought up again by Chief King Sosa on Longhorn Nation that I thought was a very good point. It's, did we go after the right guys in the transfer portal when transfer mania happened? It seemed like, Texas, you know, got a lot of really, really good guys in the transfer portal, right? And the transfer portal is a good way to to fill holes and, and you know, in football and basketball, baseball, it's a good way to fill holes on your roster. But it seems like they went after the, the high-profile transfers and landed up, ended up with a bunch of redundancies. Now, they have a lot of talent and deep talent, but they also means that because of the redundancies – they lack the depth in a few different places. Specifically, they don't have a true five. There's no true center. And that seems to be the reason. I mean, like that that has made Dylan DeSue that much more important, even though he is a four-five combo guy, right? He's he's a stretch four, more so. Uh, we don't have a guy who is above six ten. I yeah. don't even think I don't even think Dylan DeSue is I think he's six nine. You don't have a Jericho Sims. You don't have a Mo Bamba or Kai Jones or even a Will Baker. You don't you don't have a guy with a bunch of size. That's what Texas really Texas lacks the size and athleticism this year. Well very apparent. I mean, that was a lot of due to, you know, going out and getting a, honestly a star studded transfer team. But does this roster having a lot of redundancies, is that one of the reasons that Texas had a rougher start? this season and so, and by rougher i mean like you know they had a few stumbling they didn't beat seton hall they got blown they, out by gonzaga they, they don't they, look like a final four team right yes yeah. yeah uh when that was that was a sales pitch was this is a team that's trying to go to the final four um yeah i think um with the sheer number of slots they needed to fill 
to a certain extent, I understand Beard and his staff are, um, they had to go get dudes, right? At a certain point, you got to go get dudes. And you, you, it's never going to be exactly what you want. You're trying to find the people that, that look like they could play, that they can play it at a high major level, and then maybe figure things out from there. Um, and I know that f- there's, um, they went, you know, it seemed like they got just about everybody they wanted. Um, and yeah. they nearly did. They, they nearly did. Um, uh, but you know, one of the, the areas of concern, uh, is the, is the rebounding area, uh, specifically letting other teams, uh, get offensive rebounds on them, which has improved since Desu has gotten in the lineup, but it's still an area that they need improvement on. And there was a guy that they went after pretty hard because uh, Rodney Terry had a guy named Bryson Williams uh, on his UTEP teams that was a rebounding machine and would have been a really good addition. He has, I mean, while he's not, you know, a seven footer or whatever, he's a really good rebounder and he would have been, uh, he would have made things better. Well, he went to tech, right? So some of this is you don't get everybody you want, right? And, and, um, I think that given the sheer amount of spots they needed to fill, they did a pretty solid job of going and getting, getting whoever they could. And they tried to get the highest rated people they could. Like it's, you know, uh, I don't want to say any port in a storm, but they, 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 I, I understand them trying to fill out the roster however they could. And with the idea of we'll figure it out later. Um, the problem is that Beard's system isn't really a very accommodating one for people who don't fit exactly right. Um, and we, we've mentioned Marcus Carr already, and we can talk about him some more later if we need to. But him not sort of living up to the hype is partly him not really entirely being comfortable within this motion offense system. Um, so with that said, uh, I think it's correct that there are uh, definite redundancies in this team. I think it is fair to say that they are a team that I, I don't say they, I wouldn't say they lack size. I think they lack athleticism. I think that would be a better way of putting it because Dylan DeSue is probably the most athletic guy on the team. And if you put him on Kansas, he's maybe the third or fourth most athletic guy on the team. And if you put him on Baylor, he's definitely, you know, fourth or fifth. Like, it's just, this is a team of very good basketball players whose game is not explosive by nature. And um, you're going to see that probably in Big 12 play where the lack of athleticism is is an issue that they have to solve schematically. Um, And having a guy like Bryson Williams would have helped in that that regard. So... um, I'm less concerned about a lack of a either traditional or sort of uh, stereotypical big man because it's it is uh, as much these days about having a, uh, a scheme that rewards defense uh, you know rebounding effort on both ends of the floor. Um, it is about whether you decide you really want to attack the offensive glass or not because different teams have different uh, different priorities on that front. But I do think it is fair to say that this team lacks athleticism relative to the, the sort of serious Final Four contenders, and, and that's, that's a, a result of being as transfer-heavy as they are and getting the guys they do but also you know like you said there's rarely a kai jones in the transfer portal so 
Um, I don't know how much they would have been able to fix that this year outside of somehow like snagging a dude who was going to the G League or something. You know, there was a, the G League invite team. If getting one of those guys instead, or you know, Imani Bates or somebody, right? But th- that's I think that is one of their their lacking spots is is in athleticism. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely boiled down the post on Longhorn Nation a bit much. It's not just talking about the redundancies, talking about it much more, but yeah, he's I really got, thought he's the, got quite a bit in there. Yeah, it's great. It's a good, it's a really good post, but I, I do think the re- redundancies are a factor on this team. Mainly the fact that because of the lack of athleticism, guys like Dylan DeSue and Trey Mitchell have become that much more important to the team. And I'm wondering if, Obviously, the fact that Andrew Jones is, like, I think he's not, he, like, his past two games, he was, what, three for, three for ten, four, the past three games, three for ten, four for ten, four for thirteen, he's not hitting any much many of his shots, but potentially the lack of emergence from Carr and the regression from Ramey, Jones, and Febris. I, I would say that that is as much Carr not being who we had hoped he would be as anything because um andrew jones is who he is uh, he has very uh defined positive qualities courtney ramey is uh and i think ramey has overall been very good this year but th- this team becomes truly dangerous when marcus carr is truly unlocked and he has not yet been that guy outside of you know the game and the greg that's that's pretty much the only game where he's been 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 who you had hoped he would be coming into the season. How do you unlock a guy like Carr? Uh, put him in a different offense. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> How do you, I, unlock you know, him in this offense. Yeah. The, well, so I guess the the issue here is that um, a guy like Carr, who who is, you know, the offenses he's been in to date uh, prior to being at Texas uh, were centered around him for the most part. I mean, he had complimentary players, but he was the guy bringing the ball to the court. He was the guy getting to the rim. He was the guy dishing out. He would take open threes. He would take contested threes. Like, he was the guy. And he is not, he is not yet found a way to be the guy when he needs to be. Like, it's he's, he's part of an ensemble. He's trying to figure out his spot. And within... The restrictions of a motion, this motion offense, not a motion offense, this motion offense, he has not found his comfort zone. And I, he may or may not during the season. It's, you know, we're a third of the way through the season at this point. So I, I, I'm not going to assume he's going to magically figure shit out uh, two weeks from now. He might, and it would be great for the team's prospects if he does. My, my, my personal hunch is that he is being fed too many restrictions and so it's sort of like you know to use a football term because we are pretend we're football if you get a linebacker out there who is thinking instead of playing he starts reacting instead of acting and he's a little slow and he misses some plays he doesn't get the right reads all the time that's kind of what it feels like with Carr. like it feels like he goes gets to the the free throw line extended or he gets you know and, and he pulls it for a floater because he's not sure what else to do or he's not sure where he's supposed to dish out to like uh, 
you put a guy like Carr in a, a different offensive system where it's, you know, like a random ball screen offense, for example, and he can get downhill in a hurry. And if defenses start collapsing, he knows to kick it out. If they don't collapse, he gets to the rim. Like it's, it's simplified. Whereas the motion offense that they are running is very technical and very precise and also requires, uh, it's just a different mindset. And I just, I don't think he is comfortable in it yet. And I don't know if he will truly be comfortable at any point this season. I hope so because it will make games better. But I mean, kind of going on this, right, where Texas really hits its stride if Marcus Carr does well, what are realistic expectations for Texas in Big 12 play that starts this week or in a week? I guess this weekend. More specifically, where does Texas sit now and where can they sit or where will they sit at the end of conference play, given X or given Y? Yeah, I, I'll give you sort of two scenarios. And, and I think what I would say is if you get the Texas team prior to Incarnate Word, I mean, that looks like a somewhere around a 10 and 8, 9 and 9 conference team. That offense in most of those games was not very coherent. It was a slog. Uh, guys were not doing what they need to do. Uh, defensively, they've been very good. Um, they, they are uh, they're very sound defensively. Even if they have some breakdowns, they're relatively minor. Like they're, they're doing well on that side, so they'll be in just about every game they play. Uh, offensively, they're, they're just, they, they just haven't figured it out. If they play like they played against Incarnate Word, um, which is a big if because it's a one-game sample size against a terrible opponent, uh, then maybe you start talking 11 and 7, 12 and 6 become in, you know, become possibilities. I, it's, uh, I, I don't think there's a realistic scenario where Texas finishes higher than third in the conference. But if we are talking about the pre-incarnate word team, that's a team that's looking at like fourth, fifth, maybe seventh, depending on tiebreakers and stuff. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, a team that's more like who played against incarnate word, then maybe third through fifth or more likely like that's, and, that's kind of how I feel is and one is a bubble team and the other one is a definitely in the tournament team. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Texas at 10 and eight, especially with the strength of the big 12 is probably in f- relatively safely. Um, Again, it, it also boils down to what they do against Tennessee. Like, if they beat Tennessee at home, that'll be a quad one win. And then, you know, they rack up a number of wins against Q1, Q2 wins against other Big 12 teams and end up 10-8. and eight. Um, Then they're probably in. I, you know, they, they might be like a seven seed or something, but they'll, they'll be in. 9-9, um, nine and nine, it gets real sketchy. And it really depends on who those nine wins are against. Um, I... I have a hard time imagining the the non-incarnate word team taking a single win against Baylor or Kansas because those two teams are just seriously legit this year. Um, the one against incarnate word, yeah, maybe they get one. Like it's you know they might they might steal one of the home games against one of those two teams, um, but it's the, the ceiling for this team has definitely lowered over the course of the season from the preseason. Um, The question is how much that's because we overestimated the athleticism. We overestimated the emergence of Carr and Timmy Allen. uh, And 
the effectiveness of Andrew Jones and really the use of Febris. Yeah, so. I think, and that, that, that those are all fair. I think um, there was a, a whole lot of Bernorge Kool-Aid being drunk both by Texas fans and nationally. Like there was a lot of national writers who really bought into this, you know, Beer's coming home. Look at all these transfers he's getting. Like he's getting all these dudes, and you know, like I, I get it, right? Like there's they, they hit the ground running, and they did what they what the the best they they felt they could do. Give you know in the circumstances. So I understand people looking at all these guys. I I think the one thing, as much as this uh, as much as this this squad has experience, they don't really have experience winning, right? Like. You know, uh, Timmy Allen was the best player on a Utah team that wasn't very good. It was sort of mediocre. Uh, Marcus Carr was the best dude on a Minnesota squad that didn't win much. Um, I I think I said like Avery Benson might be the only guy on the team who's been around for an NCAA tournament win. You know, Dylan DeSue was at Vanderbilt, which was not a great team. I mean, they were fine and, and he was really good while he was there. So there's a lot of individual talent, but... Not many of these guys have been on a team, including the guys who were held over last year's Texas squad. Uh, there's not many guys who have won an NCAA tournament game. And so they they have to figure that part out. That's the next step for a lot of these guys. And, you know, maybe the squad does it and maybe they go on a run in March. We'll see. But that's that's a long ways away. And they got they got some pretty rough teams in front of them. They got to deal with first. Yeah, uh, but I also think that this team is a lot better than, let's say, you keep Shaka. Like this, this season is going go potentially going to go a lot better than if you keep Shaka. And yes, you have four freshmen and you have four guys who are left over from the Shaka era. This is probably a better team than what would potentially be here if Shaka Smart was here. Yeah, that's I very possible. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's 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 very possible. I mean, we don't know who Shaka would have brought in as his transfers or whatever, but that's, I mean, it, who whoever was going to be here this year, there was going to be a step back from last year's team, and it is fair to make the argument that Chris Beard's team is less of a step back than Shaka's would have been. That's that's yes. perfectly reasonable. Uh, so let's go ahead and take a look at what to expect out of West Virginia this year, because that is Texas's first real opponent (laughs) uh, at home this year. Honestly, it's not the best West Virginia team that West Virginia has had under Bob Huggins. I mean, they're 42nd in Ken Palm. Uh, They're 11 and one, but they're still struggling this year a bit in certain places. Who is West Virginia this year? Who is Bob Huggins? What does Bob Huggins have in Morgantown this year? Um, so they are, there's, there's a fair number of ways that they are sort of similar to Texas in terms, you know, statistically, like I, I think, uh, Texas fans and, and West Virginia fans should be ready for a turnover fest in that game because both Texas and West Virginia are top five in the nation in turnover rate, forcing turnovers. Um, both of them, uh, take care of the ball pretty well, but I, I went back and looked and uh, West Virginia has played uh, a handful of teams in the top 100. They, they played Clemson uh, and they turned them over almost 31% of the time. Uh, Clemson, who's number 38 in Ken Palm at the time. 
UConn is number 25 in Ken Palm at the time. Uh, they turned them over almost like 25% plus of the time. Uh, UAB was 49 and they turned them over, uh, let's see, tw- almost 23% of the time. So um, West Virginia is definitely forcing a lot of turnovers as Texas is. So I, I would expect the ball to be going the other way a lot <laughs> for both teams. Uh, for for West Virginia, Taz Sherman has been really good. Um, he's a senior. He's been with them for a while. Um, his assist rate is really high. His true shooting percentage is really high. Um, he makes a lot of free throws. He draws a lot of fouls. Like He does a lot of good things. He shoots 35% from three, um, which is above the team's average. They're, they're kind of... They're lower, they're, they're worse at shooting threes than I expected given who they've got on their team because they make 31.5% of their threes, which is not great by any stretch of the imagination. Um, that's, you know, like a not last year Shaka team. <laughs> so um, I think Texas is going to have to really try and keep Sean McNeil out of the game. Uh, he, he hits a high rate of threes. Um, he's been really good. Jalen Bridges is really good for them. Um, they are... Uh, they're, they're an interesting team. I, I think this is going to be one of those teams that for Texas, when they get West Virginia at home, they should be a moderate favorite when they go on the road, they, they're going to be an underdog. Um, but I, you know, in, in a lot of statistical ways, in terms of turnovers force, in terms of taking care of the ball, in terms of rebounding on both ends of the glass, there's a lot of similarities between, West Virginia and Texas. And I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how this goes because it is, a it, I think Texas should be favored in this game, but it's, it's far from a gimme. Unlike Texas though, this year, West Virginia has beaten a quality opponent in UConn. It was UConn at home. They won 56 to 53. They also lost to Marquette at home, but because you don't take Shaka on a neutral court, sir. Nope. Unless no. you're Abilene Christian. <laughs> but, you know, they they have shown the ability to step up. Um, you know, obviously Texas hasn't had that many chances. Well, I guess they've had as many chances as West Virginia has this year. But, um, you know, it, it's, that's something else to watch here. West Virginia has beaten three teams ranked in the top 100 of Ken Palm, and Texas has beaten one. Right. And it was in the 90s. Yep. So this is going to be the best team, again, Texas has faced at home this year. Yep. Uh, it's going to be an interesting battle. Uh, it, Texas hasn't beaten a team this good this year. That's going to be something to watch. So this is kind of like a, not a litmus test, but kind of like a dipping your toe in the water and seeing, all right, Texas, are you for real this year? Can you beat a team like West Virginia at home? Uh, you know, let's let's start there. Baby yeah. steps. And, and, you know, this is one of those. So uh, when you look at, you know, three through eight in the Big 12, there's going to be a lot of tiebreakers that come into play, probably, uh, because those teams are all probably going to be somewhere between 10 and eight and seven and 11, give or take. Maybe, maybe 11 and seven and seven and 11. Like there's going to be a lot of teams in that chunk. So uh, you need to take care of home court. Uh, you need to beat a team like West Virginia uh, at least once. Hopefully you sweep them, but you definitely need to take that home game. So that's, this is one of those games that if Texas doesn't take care of business, if they if they don't win where they're favored, that's 
that's just one mark that goes to the other side, right? Where maybe they were hoping to be 12 and six and now their, their ceiling's 11 and seven, or maybe they were hoping to be 11 and seven and now their ceiling is 10 and eight. Like that's, that's one of those, this is one of those games that hurts later on, especially as backloaded as Texas schedule is. Yeah. I mean, relatively backloaded, right? Uh, oh no, Kansas, it's very backloaded. Four, I mean, yes, it's, it's yeah. You're, I guess you're four right. of their it's last very eight game, yeah, four of their last yeah. eight games are against Baylor and Kansas. So, yeah, yeah, that's and there's I think there's an and away Texas game. Texas Tech, I, yeah, they got Texas and Tech, Iowa State, and at Oklahoma. If memory so like, serves. yeah, the last yeah. the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, if you want to, yeah, so yeah, eight, let's. Eight, eight last ten games are against ranked teams. Yeah, and that's you know that there's a Tennessee game in there and an away game against yeah. Tech that, that that like that aren't even Tennessee in that eight. Yeah, at Tech, which is basically like playing the number one team because <laughs> of yeah, goddamn, they're they're gonna be angry. Yeah, they're gonna be. <laughs> then you're playing angry. Iowa State, who is number eight in the nation. Yeah, uh, Kansas at Baylor at Oklahoma, Texas Tech again versus TCU. At West Virginia, uh, versus Baylor and at Kansas. So okay, again, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Eight of the last eleven games. Yeah, they get but they it's, get. It's a it's a slog. No, I get. No, I meant I meant relatively as in like okay, the second third is relatively more loaded than the first third. Yeah. But like the third third. Yeah. Is is just like. Yeah. They they you have know, it's, it's a thousand can... foot elevation in a mile. Yeah, they have uh they they have they have to go play at Morgantown on a Saturday and turn around and play Baylor at home the next Monday. And then when they're done with that, they go to Kansas on senior night to to end the season. That's yes. Yeah. 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 So T- yeah, the, the yet another hyped, reason. You know that's that's basically just straight up. Yeah, that's yet another reason Texas needs to win these games because it ain't getting easier. So, talking about that Kansas State at Kansas State is the next game. What is Kansas State this year under Bruce Weber, who got himself another year? Who Somehow. who are they? What should Texas expect? Again, this is another team. They're 60th in Ken Palm, 63rd, or 68th in Ken Palm. So it's not like they're kind of like a if we were to take the top 64 teams and, and take them all into the tournament, they're a bubble team in the most technical sense. Yeah. They're the they're the worst team in the Big 12. And they're 68 in Ken Palm. Like right. this is this is the best team Texas has played away <laughs> since Seton Hall. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, who is this team? Who are their characters? And how are they going to try to attack Beard? How have they tried to attack Beard teams in the past? And I guess I forgot to ask that for West Virginia too. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I haven't gotten to watch enough West Virginia this year to to really say. Um, and it's not, you know, Huggins, one of the reasons why he's a Hall of Fame coach is that he adapts his his philosophies and his his sets to his talent better than most people. Like, Isn't there's, it funny how Hall of Fame coaches are very flexible with how they run their teams? Yeah, yeah, him and Bill Self both are really good at that. Um, you know, there's mm. a reason why you don't call them Press Virginia anymore because they don't have Javon Carter and they don't have, like, that specific skill set, so they don't press as much, right? They're, they're still an aggressive defense. They still go for turnovers, but, they're you know, they're not. it's not 94 feet of hell or whatever, right? So they're, they're not... But to be And to be fair, to, to be able to do that, change your team up that much you have to really know a lot of different offenses and defenses in yep. and out yep. at a high level and that's that's just very hard to do 
Yeah, I mean that's that's level. what gets them into Hall of Fame. Like you can be a very good coach in in yeah, very good college basketball coach and only know no one's style. It's just like everybody knows that you have to change your team around, but only few people can do it because they only because they have that level of understanding. But yeah, going so, going forward, sorry. Yeah, so um, as far as Kansas State, I mean, I expected them to be worse, and they may still be bad. I mean, they you know they lose to Marquette, and anybody who loses to Shaka sucks. Am I right? Um, they uh, they they've they beat. You know, their best win is at Wichita State, which is a solid win, but they got beat by Illinois. They got beat by Arkansas. And other than that, they, they haven't played very good teams. Um, their non-conference schedule is still rated higher than Texas, though. So there's that. Um, you know, their their defense is predicated on not allowing offensive rebounds. Um, they have a really good... Uh, they they the three point make percentage against them is really good, but that's also a very random stat. So I don't know if that's going to, if that's going to, to continue. They they steal the ball a lot, um, and other than that, it's just like Nigel Pack is a good player. Uh, Mark Smith has been a, an excellent addition for them. He was where was he at before this? Because he transferred in. Yeah, he's at Missouri before, um, and he was a pretty highly rated recruit, if memory serves. Um, he's been good, so they've got some. They've got some talent. Um, and, you know, Noel's pretty good as well. Uh, I just, I just kind of think they're probably going to be butt. <laughs> like at some point, I, I, you know, they're just. At some point, Bruce Weber's got to get fired, right? Like at some point, <laughs> some point is going to happen. It's, and it's it's a statistical anomaly. He hasn't been. I know he's he's it's it's phenomenal. It's amazing. Um, they they keep you know offensively uh, they take care of the ball pretty well, but they also haven't played a lot of teams that really really pushed them on it. When they played Marquette, uh, they they still didn't turn the ball over much. So uh, and Shock has been putting some pressure teams out there. So. You know, maybe they're actually legitimately good at it. And if so, that's going to be one of those things where, you know, Texas gets a, a lot of their a lot of their defensive statistics are built up by how much they turn other teams over. And oh, I thought you were going to say built up because they played trash teams. Well, I mean, you know, I you said it, I didn't say it. Um, <laughs> there, I mean, and, and that's it's. One of the interesting things for Texas is going to be how much do they actually turn over legitimately good teams week in and week out? Because when you look at what they did against Seton Hall and Gonzaga, it was not nearly what they've done to the other teams. So, you know, personally, I expect their turnover, their forced turnover rate to fall somewhat. But if they are... I do think schematically the way they play passing lanes is interesting. And I do think that they will continue to force some turnovers. Like I don't think it's going to evaporate. It just may drop a little bit. Um, And a team like Kansas state is one that if you're going to do it, you need to do it against them. Like if Texas is, has designs on an upper third of the big 12 finish, they got to sweep a team like Kansas state. Who's probably going to come in 10th. So, uh, you got to you got to win those games. Uh, you know, if you're if you're going to get to 12 wins, you're probably going to have to win five or six games away from the Irwin Center, depending on, you know, how you do at home. And this is one of those ones you really got to pick up 
So yeah, um, these first two games of conference play are kind of again, as I said, dipping your toe in the water. The baby steps. The is this team for real? Yeah, we're gonna learn very, 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 very quickly what team to expect in conference play with these two games. Yeah, and I think there, um, I, I think it will be interesting to see how. Uh, you know, Bruce Weber is a legitimately good defensive coach. It will be interesting to see how he defends Texas, what he decides to do. I, I want to see if other teams are go- like Big 12 teams are going to keep uh, focusing on Timmy Allen and forcing him to get rid of the ball so that he can't just sit there and dictate what happens. Uh, if they're going to, you know, hedge hard on, on the on the perimeter and what they're going to do. Those, those are ways that'll give us some clues as to how the Big 12 looks at Chris Beard teams, because again, most of these coaches have had several years against Chris Beard and and his offense to see if they do against Texas, what they did against tech while he was there and, and how successful or not they are at it. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to watch. Uh, But I think for now, that's going to wrap it up for us. Thank y'all for listening to us for the past hour and pretend we were football. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W I L L B A I Z E R. Mr. Johnny Brashear, where can we find you? Uh, Twitter, at BitterWhiteGuy, Substack, uh, BitterWhiteGuy.Substack.com. I'm also on Reddit, getting downvoted for being smug about being right about some Chris Beard things, so you can find me there. Um, I think think that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, also you can find Tim on at InsideTexasHoop, no S, uh, because I'm pretty sure he figured out when he was trying to create the handle that there was a character limit and so from every week for now until the end of the podcast it's inside texas hoop no s um, you can even put inside texas b-ball it just yeah just, hoop. yeah i it b-ball let's see see if that's taken uh if not sell it to tim well um, you couldn't do it because then you could do hoops that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, he uh, he says the uh, the IT forum is a, a great group of people. I haven't been there in many years. They hate uh, you. Yeah, they do. But they're, they're probably right. And uh, to be fair, I was a member of IT for many years uh, back in the 2000s. And there were a lot of pretty nice and fun and interesting people there. And I, maybe they're still around. You know where there are other really nice and fun people? Hmm. Our Discord. OnlyFans? The okay. Hornscast. Uh, I mean, yes. Yeah. yeah. For a price. Yep. But the Hornscast Discord is also nice to you. For That's a price. true. We have a great Discord channel, great community there. So we really do appreciate y'all joining us there uh, to shoot the shit and talk basketball and football. Uh, also have a lovely Patreon for the show, the Hornscast Patreon. And got to give you love to Cole C and Brittany M for supporting the show. As always, those guys are great. Uh, guys and gals sorry guy uh, and gal yes. guy and guy and gal <laughs> appreciate it do i need the, to get uh, my dad to become a patron is that is that the next step is like just so you can have a third yeah that'd be nice <laughs> like it's to, I, to make it to make it a plural or guys and gal or yeah guy and gals i i shouldn't the, shit on the dream this is because... to one day be able to say guys and gals oh there we go yeah i i, I shouldn't shit on this because like my patreon is terrible like it's they're very nice people, and I appreciate it, but it's it's very much the living embodiment of that Arrested Development, there are dozens of us meme. That's basically mm-hmm. it. Yeah. We appreciate y'all. We really do. Uh, you guys can also find our Twitter uh, at pretendwarefb. Yep. So 
lots of good stuff there. Really, tons of good stuff, honestly. Yeah, there's Amazing. at least three tweets a week or so. Almost. Yeah, two and a half. Maybe. Uh, thank y'all for listening. We'll see y'all next week. Hook them. I, I don't have a Rudy quote. Sorry, sorry. <laughs>